Our scripture this morning is taken from the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in the first verse, if you are using the Bibles provided, you'll find this on page 63, if you're visiting with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, you'll find one in front of you, in a seat in front of you, it looks like this, you may keep this Bible, if you don't have one, feel free to keep the one that you find, it'd be our gift to you, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each man can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. 
Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. The people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word aloud this morning. It is not unlike God to expect his people, as a matter of faith, to do things that in the moment they do not understand. Noah was commanded to build an ark before there ever was such a thing. Living in a time when some believed it had not yet rained on the earth in order to survive a flood that no one but God could see coming. Abraham, who was over a hundred years old when he finally had the son that was promised to him, the son who factored heavily into uh, the fulfillment of God's promise that he would be a great nation, the son who was the only egg in Abraham's basket, he was told to sacrifice to the Lord. And in our text today from Exodus 12, the whole nation of Israel commanded to slaughter lambs and smear their blood on the doorposts of their homes. Now, while these commands may have seemed odd at the beginning, each of them and many more like them in the Bible, not only historic, but prophetic. Because unbeknownst to the original cast, they held meaning in the moment, but they had even greater meaning for the future. For they each prefigured a glorious reality that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God is a God of mercy who will make a way for his people to escape his wrath. God will safely deliver his people through the floodwaters of judgment for sin. God will provide the sacrifice. God will be the atoning lamb whose blood is shed so those who place themselves under it may be saved from death. Father, as we place ourselves now under the authority of your word, we ask that its truths would ring clear in our hearts that you would bless us with an understanding of what you're trying to get across to us as you speak to us from your written word. Lord, minister to us 
Help us to unstop our ears. Let us receive what you have for us this day. May the glory be yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Exodus chapter 12 this morning as we make our way through this rather large Old Testament book. Exodus 11 announces the deadliest plague. We went over that last week. And Exodus 12, among other things, describes it. God delivers on his promise to kill the firstborn of Egypt, sending the destroyer to pass through that entire land, striking down the firstborn of both men and animals, the scripture says, but passing over and sparing the children of Israel who are in homes whose doorposts and lentils are marked in blood. And so that night and, and this annual and ongoing commemoration of it has come to be known the Passover is when the Lord passed over those who were under the blood. That night, God executed his promised judgment, and he kept his word. Exodus 12.12 reiterates that this horrific plague was enacted by God as a judgment on all the gods of Egypt. It was also the fulfillment of a promise that God had made to Abraham, one that is recorded in Genesis chapter 15, in verses 13 and 14, where God said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. God made that promise to Abram, and here he's fulfilling it. In the death of the firstborn in Egypt, God executes his judgment on sin. Now, if this is God's judgment on sin, we might wonder, does it mean that only the Egyptians are guilty of sin? Because they're the ones who were afflicted. And, of course, it certainly does not mean that. In previous chapters, we have read already how the, the Israelites were guilty of unbelief, right? And how they challenged um, Moses and, and actually sought and prayed for God's judgment on Moses. Because when he started meddling, when he started getting involved in the affairs in Egypt, things for them started to get worse instead of better. And so they called Moses out. So they're guilty of the sin of unbelief. And they are guilty for refusing to follow God's prophet Moses. We also know from other scriptures, and it's no surprise, that in the many years that they spent there in Egypt, in slavery and captivity, some of the Israelites had fallen into idolatry. Some of them had even begun to worship the gods of Egypt. In Joshua, I think it's chapter 24, verse 14. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So guilty of unbelief, guilty of uh, worshiping other gods, but perhaps and most in, importantly, beyond any specific sin that any of the Egyptians may have committed, everyone sinner by nature. The scripture is true when it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when the Bible says all, it means um, all. So, so it's not like, yeah, he sins and she sins, but I don't. That's not the message of the scripture. The message is that all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God, that every living, breathing human has a sinful nature, a bent towards self, away from God. The Israelites are no exception, right? And in this way, they are as, as deserving of death as the Egyptians. So they deserve death, but the question is, how do they escape it? And the passage tells us. Moses called all the elders of Israel. He said to them, I'm reading out of verses 21 and 23 of chapter 12, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So how do they escape God's judgment on sin? Well, a lamb is killed. And his blood is applied to the door frames of the homes. And when the Lord sees the blood on the doorposts and on the lintels, he passes by and he forbids the destroyer to enter into that home. If he didn't see the blood, the destroyer would go in there, but he sees the blood and he spares the home and does not kill the firstborn. And one might wonder at this point, if the Lord intends to have mercy on the Israelites, which he clearly does, why is this ritual even necessary? Why do we have to go through this? I mean, can't, can't God, if he really is omniscient, can't God discern for himself who belongs to him and who doesn't and send the destroyer to one group and not another? Can't God, who is all-seeing, see through bricks and straw and wood and whatever these houses might have been made of, to say, oh, don't go there because that's one of my own, and, and go here because that's, that's another. Couldn't God have done that? Well, of course he could do those things, but this ritual is necessary for other reasons. First, applying the blood was an act of faith and obedience. These Israelites weren't particularly known for their faith and obedience at this point. And there would be some times later on when it, that the whole, whole rebellion crept in again. But here they are faithful and they are obedient. Applying the blood was an act of faith and obedience. Verse 28 says, And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And I think that is fascinating. Because you think about 600,000 men plus women plus children are getting this message of what to do, and I'm thinking, man, I wonder what the guy at number 599-995, what kind of story he got. We know how things get distorted when we try to pass them along. But they did just what they were told. They were obedient. And there's a little lesson in here for us folks. Obeying God leads to life. Disobeying God leads to death. Obeying God brings good things. Disobeying God brings wicked things. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He also said that he came to give us life, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
So obeying Jesus, obeying the Lord, obeying what the scriptures say, this is the way to life. And disobeying and going against what God says, the way that seems right to a man in the end leads to death, the Proverbs tell us. So the Israelites deserved death, but they would be saved by grace through faith. They were obedient. Second, applying the blood first requires blood means the slaughter of a lamb. You see, if these folks are going to be saved at all, a lamb had to be killed. Something that we might not think about when we read this passage is that death visited every home in Egypt that night. Both Egyptian and Israelite. Commentator Tim Chester explains what's happening with good clarity. He writes this, In every home throughout Egypt and Goshen, the death count is the same. The following morning, there is a corpse. The only question is, is it a lamb or is it a child? Who has died? The lamb is a substitute for the child. See, the judgment of God could pass over the Israelite homes marked in blood because a sacrifice for that home had been made. Since consequence of death had been exacted on a lamb, its blood applied to the house as a testimony of that sacrifice. And as a result, the firstborn of Israel are spared. So the killing of the lamb and the sprinkling of its blood was necessary for the Israelites to demonstrate their faith and obedience and for the price to be paid for their sin. But perhaps most importantly, this idea of the death of a lamb, a substitutionary death, and the salvation of those who plead its blood in the place of their own points us straight to Jesus and the sacrifice he made for the salvation of those who will by faith receive and follow. The Passover is a sign of an even greater act of redemption. It is, as one author puts it, the crucial clue that helps us decipher a much larger puzzle it is a paradigm of salvation from sin and judgment that culminates in redemption through Jesus Christ. For those of you who struggle a little bit to read the Old Testament, must know that the Old Testament points to your Savior and tells his story, which is the grand theme of Scripture, that God in Christ can save. It does not take great imagination to see Jesus foreshadowed in the Passover. The Apostle Paul, knowing our limitations perhaps in 1 Corinthians 5.17, spells it out for us. He says, Christ is our Passover lamb. Thank you, Paul. John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, when he saw Jesus, you remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. The Apostle Peter, in the first chapter of his first epistle, writes, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of a lamb, without blemish 
horseback. Now the problem with the sacrifice of the lamb at Passover and every sacrifice that was ever made after that that it had to be repeated. It wasn't an enduring sacrifice. But the author of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. By the way, we're going to get into that later in the book of Exodus. Copies of the true things. Remember that. But into hearts itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year and with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has prepared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once and for all. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, God's word in Romans describes the true human condition and also helps us understand its only cure. Verse 3, 9, chapter 3, verse 9 says that everyone is under the power of sin. Chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. Romans 5, 12 says that death spread to all men because all sinned. And again, when the Bible says all, it means all, as in there are no exceptions. This is who we are. This includes us, every human being guilty and deserving the just sentence of death. But the good news is that God, in his great mercy, has provided his people with a way to escape his wrath and punishment, a way to be safe. It was the time of the Passover feast. Commentator Phil Riken writes this, The day Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem was the very day that the Passover lambs were driven into the city. And when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, he was celebrating the Passover. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. His disciples didn't understand it at the time, but Jesus was really saying, the Passover is all about me. I am the sacrificial lamb. And Christ was crucified. It was late in the afternoon on the eve of the Passover. At twilight, lambs would be sacrificed by every household according to the law of Moses. All over the city, fathers were getting ready to make the offering, gathering their families together and saying, God has provided a lamb for us. Over at the temple, the high priest was also preparing a lamb to present as an atonement for Israel's sin. Then there was Jesus hanging on the cross, the sacrificial blood flowing from his hands and his side. He was the Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world. Christ is our Passover Lamb, who bought us with his life, who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, so all who call on him in faith can know that their debt of sin is paid 
whole. There are two implications from this text. The first is this. Make sure the doorframe of your life is daubed with the blood of Jesus. The only way that God's judgment will pass over anyone is by their faith in Jesus. So another way for me to say this is know for certain that you are saved. That Christ's blood was shed for you, that you receive his atoning sacrifice for you personally. Know that you are saved. Know that the blood of Christ is daubed over the doorframe of your life. That's one implication. And the second is this. If you are saved, if you are, as the hymn writer would put it, washed in the blood, then the only proper response to such a grand and eternal deliverance is to live a life of worship. We respond to the gospel with praise and adoration and reverence to God. In giving instructions for the commemoration of the Passover, Moses said this. He said, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our houses. But here it is, verse 27, and the people in response to this bowed their heads. Moses is saying, you shall remember what the Lord did for you. You shall remember how the Lord saved you. When the people pondered how great a salvation with which they had been saved, they bowed their heads in worship, beloved, and you and I, we can be so prone to take for granted what God has done for us in Christ. Maybe to become familiar with it and lose our awe. Maybe to become even so callous as to think that God made a good deal when he put us on his team because we're so smart, so strong, and we're so gifted. There's lots of ways for us to go off the rails on this one, but probably the most insulting would be just simply to become callous to the idea that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to redeem you, to save you eternally. How could we ever be calloused about something like that? What an insult it would be. The proper response to the gospel is worship. Worship in the moment and worship with our lives submitted to him. We remember God's redemptive acts in history. It causes us to bow our heads. It causes us to declare his worth. If you are a Christian today, think for a moment how God saved you. Think of what he saved you from. And think of what he saved you for. And think 
As darkness deepens and joys grow dim, what he's saving you to. Great deliverance. God has secured for us Christ. Like Israel, redeemed from slavery. Only our slavery is to sin. And redeemed from death. Jesus has rescued us. Jesus has brought us out. And he did so at a great cost. Sacrifice of his own life. Christ is our Passover. Is it any wonder that heaven resounds with the voices of many angels singing? Worthy. Worthy. Worthy is the Lord. Well, let's stand and sing that to him.